Life is a blank canvas and you paint your own story. I'm Lee Rogers and welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm going to be chatting with the trailblazers, artists, thought leaders, athletes, the entrepreneurs and creators, incredible individuals who inspire us to live large. G'day. Welcome to another episode. Alex Russell is one of those young actors who's been quietly, or not so quietly, racking up a dozen movie credits both in Australia and the US. After graduating from the drama school NIDA in 2008, he hit the ground running, starring in the acclaimed feature Wasted on the Young. Then he played the lead role in the US science fiction thriller Chronicle, which was a major hit, grossing over $126 million worldwide. Next up, Alex starred in the remake of Brian De Palma's horror classic, Carrie, alongside Julianne Moore and Chloe Grace Moretz, followed by Andrew Nichols' movie, The Host. A starring role in Australian drama Cut Snake with director Tony Ayres, a role in Angelina Jolie's Academy Award-nominated epic, Unbroken. On a roll, hey? Other movie credits include Greg McLean's film Jungle opposite Daniel Radcliffe, only the Brave, which starred Josh Brolin, Goldstone, which also starred Jackie Weaver and David Wenham. And on the TV side of things, Alex is also into the fifth season of global hit drama SWAT, starring as the much-loved character Jim Street. This is all great, good on him, but what impressed me most and prompted me to want to have a yak with Alex is that rather than just cruising along as a successful working actor, He's proactively developing projects and producing them. His latest micro-budget indie movie, Under My Skin, is punching well above its weight. Written and directed by Alex's regular collaborator, Aussie David O'Donnell, and produced by Alex and Rainan O'Keefe. The story follows Denny, a free spirit and artist who falls for Ryan, a straight-laced lawyer, played by Alex. When Denny questions her gender, their love is tested. It's a powerful film and just won the Alternative Spirit Award at the prestigious Rhode Island International Film Festival and is currently trending on Aussie streaming platform Stan. Please welcome to the blank canvas, Alex Russell. G'day, Alex. Lee, how's it going, mate? Good, how are you? I'm um, very well, thank you, very well. Good on you. Hey, um, I've been looking at a lot of your work. I've seen some of it over the years, but I've been uh, taking the deep dive and, wow, it looks like you've had the dream run since uh, leaving NIDA. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way about it. It's been, uh, it's been awesome. It's been really fun. I feel very grateful. Yeah, I bet. You know, it's interesting. A lot of, I mean, I've been around a while and I noticed some actors don't flourish in acting schools, whether it's NIDA or whether it's another. I did not. <laughs> I was on probation <laughs> most of the time I was there. Almost got kicked out a couple of times. Yeah, I, I think that's a, almost a positive because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sort of the process, I mean, of breaking people down and, you know, building them back up and all the rest of it often seems to knock the natural talent out of people. That old chestnut. <laughs> that's right. But, mate, you seem to have developed a, a really solid craft and approach for yourself and I really like your acting. It's really natural. It's really believable. And it seems to have adapted to a lot of different projects for you. So, thank you. How the hell did Don't you worry. survive it? How did I survive? Yeah. How did you survive it? And how did you, I guess, um, what, what did you take from it? And what didn't you take from it? And um, yeah, just give us an insight into your approach to acting. Um, so, uh, thank you very much, by the way, for your kind words. Appreciate that very much. Yeah, you know, drama school was hard uh, for me. I was very young when I got in and I think I showed up and I thought I was I was feeling pretty on top of the world and I think that they they were right to deflate certain staunchness on certain things and I, I think I definitely showed up as sort of an 18-year-old and I thought I knew a lot about a lot of different things. And, you know, in reality, I knew nothing. So they were probably right to deflate that to some extent, but I think they might have gone a bit far. They were really rough on me. As you said, the breaking down part, they absolutely hammered me. 
And I think I wouldn't have made it through if not for my best friend, a guy named James Savanides. He was in my year at drama school and he was older than me. He was like 24, 25 when we started. But, you know, as things change and, and as often it goes, it's super difficult for the first year or two and then you find your footing and then in third year, you know, they start to give you roles that you're more suited to as opposed to, you know, stretching you in the absolute opposite direction to, you know, make you more flexible and all that good stuff. And so by the time I finished, I was renewed and... But I think at some point you realize that you have to not give a shit what the teachers think. And I think that's part of it. The one thing that I got out of that school that I think is of tremendous value is, you know, the technician aspect, having much better control over my voice and my body, you know, the flexibility of both, the adaptability to, to different types of things, all, all, all that stuff. In terms of acting, that friend of mine I mentioned before, he actually helped me the most. And so by the time I kind of got to third year, there was an attitude of, I don't care what they think and I'm just going to apply and I'm going to throw away all of this technique while I'm on stage looking at this other person and just reacting off of them. And I think that it brought about whatever my my natural response is, and every actor's response is beautiful and unique. You know, I think each actor is like an instrument and is a different instrument that responds uniquely and specifically to the text, which you could call is like the music, you know? So, and I think you want to, as an actor, recognize if you're getting in the way of that organic response. And so for about two years, I was getting in the way because I was just so cripplingly self-conscious because I was trying to better myself and trying to become a better technician, all this stuff. And then eventually that stuff becomes second nature and then you can just go back to your roots in a way. So that's that's kind of what happened for me at the end of drama school. And as soon as you stop caring what the teachers think, then suddenly they start liking what you're doing and and I'm finally not getting almost kicked out. And then from then on, it's it's been a journey. It's been a relationship with that. It's it's very strange and and weird and interesting the relationship an actor has to their acting because you can have a very healthy relationship or a very unhealthy relationship because it's your art and it's your it's your life but if you're not self-loving and if you're not willing to fail and you're not willing to experiment then you're going to be constricted, you know, and then that voice that I mentioned that's so unique and specific to you can't come through. Makes total sense, mate, and thanks for that insight. It's really interesting because you came, you sort of came out of the gates and you, you know, you've done a, more than a dozen features and some of them some massive films and global hits. You could keep rolling along on those, but what's really impressed me is that you've been producing and making shorts and recently a feature and throwing yourself in the deep end on that rather than just sort of cruising along as an actor. And that's impressive because it's a Herculean effort to produce a feature. And um, as you would know, I guess. <laughs> exactly. I, I made a micro-budget indie feature in the 90s and, you know, <laughs> took a few years off my life, which I know you can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Dust off the wings. That's it, mate. So, I mean, clearly you're a passionate filmmaker. That's what I read into that. Tell me about <laughs> why that was the case and you haven't been living the high life in, in Hollywood. And then we'll talk about your latest movie, Under My Skin. I think that the producing aspect and directing aspect initially came out of wanting to work with people I know and people I love and people who I respect as artists. So in order to make those projects happen and to create the situations where you are working with exactly who you want to be working with, you have to create the project. You have to create the working environment. You've got to produce something. You know, so we started off with a string of shorts, as you mentioned, and, you know, learned a heck of a lot along the way. It's given me a tremendous insight into that side of production that I think is really good for actors to have. You know, I think a lot of actors will be on set in a situation making a request for days off or something, which is perfectly fine but it's just good to know what's happening on the other side of that 
So for our most recent project, the feature under my skin, I was heavily involved in the early stages of the scheduling of that, which is just a skill that I have no prior experience. I have absolutely zero experience on that. It was a brand new thing for me to engage in. And just for our little indie movie, you know, admittedly that had some really difficult variables, had four actors playing the same role. We had wig and head shaving continuity and stuff. But, you know, our movie's like an hour 35 minutes on the page. It might have been about an hour 45 or something. And that alone is a Herculean effort. So to imagine what one of these Marvel movies or what my TV show goes through in the scheduling of a single episode is just mind-boggling. Anyone who's not scheduling that just has no idea what goes into it. So it's just been so invaluable to have an understanding of just how much goes into any single production by every single person on it in their very specific roles or the lower the budget, the less specified and the more everyone's wearing six or seven hats. But it's just a mammoth effort and it makes you appreciate the miracle that is filmmaking. Like I think of every single production that is actually achieved and that gets in the can and then gets out there is a miracle. (laughs) Totally agree with you. (laughs) Absolutely. So tell me about this project. Like I was blown away. It's really tricky material, but I think the script, the direction, the performances, the movie as a whole, I mean, it's micro budget material, but you guys nailed it. And I was just so impressed. Tell me how the project came to be and just give us an insight as to what the project's about and why the four leads and that kind of thing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So I've got my cat here who's being super affectionate. (laughs) It's really distracting. This is Scout. (laughs) That's okay, mate. We don't mind starring cats and dogs on this podcast. You're famous, Scout. So the project came about, uh, so David O'Donnell who's our filmmaker, our writer-director, and then our producer, Rainan O'Keefe, who is identifies trans and non-binary. Back in the day, they had a relationship together and basically, you know, broke up at some point. David moved to LA. They had a friendship after that very special kind of connection that lasted beyond the relationship. And then one day, you know, Rainan mentioned having thoughts about gender to Dave. Dave comes from, you know, Dave's kind of like the bra boy that went off and became a filmmaker. You know, he grew up in Maroubra. Our other movie that we have in development is loosely about that world and, you know, with influences from that time in his life. But he went off to Whopper, did the acting course there, and then acted successfully for years and then transitioned into filmmaking. And, you know, he's one of the greatest artists that I know. I'm very, very grateful to get to collaborate with him. And so Rainan actually said to Dave one day on Skype or FaceTime, having thoughts about gender, And then this story sort of developed from there with an inspiration for what about a story about someone who is a far more straight-laced cis person, you know, sort of straight-laced cis white male in a relationship with someone who then questions gender and what happens to those people? How is it confronting, you know, for the cis person, how is it frustrating and and so stressful and challenging for the person questioning gender? So Rainan ended up producing this film with us and the character of Denny is, you know, the character of Denny and Ryan are very, very loosely based on Rainan and Dave. And Dave brought me the script years ago. And then as so often happens with filmmaking, you've got many projects, you work on something for a long time and then something else comes up. He left it alone for a while and then we made a short film together. Then we focused on our Marubra movie and then we kind of came back to it. And then at some point we just decided we were going to make it. We tried to get funding and at some point we just said, we're just going to make this micro budget. We are going to use blood, sweat, and tears to just get this over the line because that's what we'd done on a short film. Dave maxed out his credit card. (laughs) And uh, there's been a sort of culture of that amongst our group. We have a group of uh, sort of a filmmaker collective called Five Lip Films. And one of our earliest films that I was an executive producer on 
our colleague Andy Cunningham sold his car, he sold his Jeep so that we could make a little short film. So there was a bit of that going on with Under My Skin, just making the decision, we're going to do this no matter what. And then we moved forward. The script just got better and better. And then at some point, Rain and our producer had the brilliant idea to not just have one non-binary actor playing Denny, but to have four and then I think from there, you know, the script just really came to life. There's something very magical about that. That's cool. Yeah. And that was a bright idea. It was definitely a big call. You know, it was a high stakes move. Yeah. We were in the middle of engaging casting directors when that happened. So the pitch suddenly went from being this indie movie with these two main leads and then peripheral characters to this indie movie with five main leads. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a big call, but but it paid off. Took it to another space, took it to an unexpected space. And I mean, literally right from the opening, it actually worked and drew me in. And I was like, wow, okay, I want to see where this is going. It said so much without words. You know, that's great filmmaking as far as I'm concerned. Oh, great. I'm so glad it resonated with you. It's, it seems to resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, it's a risk. It's definitely a risk because you just you hope that it transitions smoothly and that people can identify with the new actor each time. And, you know, I think that's a tribute to the filmmaking. And then I think it's a massive tribute to the incredible performances. They're all such tremendous artists. I think that they just draw you in very quickly and you get on board. I read somewhere, I think David might have said, it's a complex love story for our generation. Mm. It's definitely a topical subject at the moment. And going into it, I guess I had a lot of preconceived notions and, a, you know, do I want to see this and this and that. But it took me in and um, I was really moved. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So filmmakers know it's a slog getting the thing shot and in the can. It's another mountain getting it finished. But then the hard work really begins of actually getting it out there and getting it seen. Yeah. How are you? And as the producer, you know, you're one of the people very much responsible for that. So how's that process going? It's going the same way that every stage of this movie has gone. It's hustle, 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 you know, don't sleep and push and push and push. And then we get a win. And, and every win is just so, so nice, but then is quickly replaced by the mountain of work before you to get to the next milestone. So we just had a great early premiere in one territory in Australia. So we just premiered on Stan about 10 days ago and we're still trending, which is awesome. And we, we started trending the very first day that we were on there and trending uh, pretty high up in the numbers, um, sort of a few across. So that was a such a beautiful result for us because so much has gone into it. You know, we're we're a marketing machine, we're a we're a sales team, and then you just go back through production through to the time where I was getting crafty for everyone. Like it's there's no job too big or too small. And as as you're aware from your film, it's it's painstaking and and it's and the job is never ending. So when you get a when you get a win and when people see the movie and it gets a wide audience, it's just, it's very sweet. So it's been a wonderful 10 days because a lot of people have seen the film and people I wouldn't necessarily expect to watch the film have watched it and told me that they've really enjoyed it. And, you know, I think that even though it's a very specific subject matter, I think the love aspect and love sort of conquering all and being more powerful than anything else is is universal and is speaking to people. So that's nice. That's beautiful. Yeah, I noticed you guys won one of the big awards at the Rhode Island International Film Festival, which for those that don't know is a major international film festival. Yeah, that was great. You know, it was a, again, it was a lovely couple of weeks because that all sort of happened around the same time. You know, it came out on stand. And I can't remember if we found out that we won that before or after it came out, but it was all around the same time. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, the whole selling the car thing that you mentioned sounds very familiar. That's how the mate and I made my movie back in the 90s, literally he sold his Mercedes and that's how <laughs> and that's how we how we shot it. We got about 30 grand between my credit card and his Mercedes. We got 30 grand together and that's how we shot it. Wow. 17 days over about 6 weeks and then uh, you know, we got some private investors and 
a lot of deals and a lot of generosity from a lot of people and, you know, myself, the actors, the non-actors, pretty well everyone working for nothing. It was just, you know, paying for food, coffee, Dolby license, the various things that you can't do favours or beg, borrow and, <laughs> and steal. I remember we had scenes, it was shot at Bondi Beach and, and this was, I guess, back at the beginning of the digital revolution. We shot at Bondi and because we were shooting on basically the first of the widescreen digital cameras, it looked like we were just a news crew. So we didn't have to pay any permits. We shot all over the beach. We went to the surf club and said, hey, guys, can you give us the rubber ducky so we can go out and shoot some, you know, water scenes out there? And they're, yeah, no worries. Just give us a slab of beer and, you know, <laughs> off we go in the rubber ducky and we're shooting all our dialogue scenes out the back of the surf. But that's oh, yeah. how it came together then. And, I mean, it makes me laugh that here we are 25 years later and what you've just done is, I guess, the next step in this digital revolution and um, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. Yeah. God, that is just, <laughs> it's an amazing story that you've got there. The idea that it was so new that you could just look like a news crew sounds, you know, I'm sure it brought with it plenty of challenges because it was such a new practice, but God, that just sounds so nice. I'd love to give someone <laughs> a slab of beer to get a, <laughs> to, to get something like that going on. Yeah, no, look, it was incredibly challenging. And uh, are you going to behave? Are you going to sit down? <laughs> My cat is just, she's like a dog. Like, she won't leave me alone. Uh, it's all good, mate. Hey, let's move on to some of your other projects. I was thinking, looking at some of the credits and thinking, at what point did your mum think, Oh, yeah, my, my son's made it. Was it when you were playing the, the John Travolta role in the remake of Carrie or, or what was it? So my parents were very excited for my first movie. Um, I did a movie called Wasted on the Young, which I very fortunately got right out of drama school. So that was pretty cool. And, I, you know, I think they were pretty excited about that. I remember the premiere was in Sydney, and I think it was Sydney Film Festival, and it would have been mid-2010. We shot the movie in 2009, uh, sort of March, April 2009. So it came out mid-2010 at the film festival, and my whole family flew down for it, and they were all super excited. And I remember my parents were staying at a hotel, and I went to meet. It was like the night before the premiere, and I went to meet them for drinks. And my cousin was there and just, you know, many family members and mum and dad. And I remember seeing my parents and my mum was so excited. And then my dad said to me, oh, you, you haven't even heard about my dream yet. <laughs> and then my mum backhanded him. She went, Andrew, shut up, like that. And I was like, what, what dream? Like, what is this? He goes, well, I had this dream and we went in and it was the premiere of your movie. And the title came up on the screen and it said, Wasted on the Young. And the title just looked cheap and shitty. And I thought, all right, that doesn't look so good. And then the movie started and it was just awful, just terrible. And I thought, shit, could this be it? Everything he's worked for? <laughs> and starts laughing at my mum's whack. Angel, shut up. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Dad. That's that's great. You know, that's that's really good. And then uh fortunately we went and saw the movie and uh that was not the case. And they were very proud and very excited. And I think that there's something, you know, surreal about seeing your son. You know, the opening shot of the movie is me with a cigarette in my mouth being a wannabe James Dean. And I think that for them that would have been very special because I got to hand it to my parents. They were the most supportive parents you could ever ask for, uh, for going off into an industry that's historically fraught with uncertainty and instability. They've just always supported me. They literally almost brainwashed me into believing that I could do it. I got picked on a lot at school. I was bullied mercilessly. I hated it. My mum used to drop me off out front of the main gate of my school and I remember being like grade 10 and I remember my mum saying, it's only two more years, Dal, just two more years, get through it and then you can go and do what you want. You can go and, you know, be an actor and, and stuff. And, you know, I think that I went out into the world with what I would call a healthy naivety. 
you know, and I think that's why when I went to NIDA, they had so much to, they, they, they were like, we'll, we'll show this kid what's what. And they just, you know, knocked me down six or seven pegs. But the way I got in was, you know, I think there's something to be said massively for the power of belief and what you believe. And, you know, I'm, I really believe in sort of the law of attraction, all that stuff. And so, you know, I owe my parents everything. So I think it would have been pretty cool for them to, to see that first film as a reality would have been, would have been pretty cool. It was cool for me. Yeah, that's wonderful, mate. Hats off to your mum and dad. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I guess a, a takeout from that is just the um, validation, support, believing in the dreams of your children, you know, as opposed to imposing your own goals and dreams on them and insisting they do that. Yeah. Can I say one thing on this, actually? Just if anyone's listening and they think, yeah, but that's bullshit because, you know, because a lot of people who may have experienced success to one form or another, someone who's just a moderately working actor or Will Smith saying this, you know, they'll preach this kind of thing. And I think that there can be skepticism from people about that because, yeah, well, you had success. I think that if you go through life following your compass like this, you have nothing to fear because I could have very well not had success as an actor and not been able to make a living out of it and blah, blah, blah. But I think that if you follow your gut and follow, follow what you're attracted to and what brings out the best in you, what ignites and sparks your curiosity and your passion, first of all, you're going to be at your best. You're going to work so much harder you're going to be the best version of yourself. So along the way, you might not become a successful actor. It might not work out in that way, but someone else will recognize something in you and they might give you a job as a casting associate or something. And then you go and do that for a while. And then, you know, before you know it, you start your own business and then that goes well. And eventually you produce a film. And then before you know it, you've got a job at Warner Brothers, whatever, whatever your journey might be, it might not be in the entertainment industry. You might go into graphic design. But I think that if you follow your dreams and follow your joy and follow what actually inspires you, you'll end up doing what you're meant to do and you'll love it and you'll be successful at it. Because, you know, I know people who have a similar ethos and they didn't just do one thing. You know, those people that have had like 12 careers in a lifetime and they're happy, successful people. And you go, how have you done so many things? Well, this led to that. And then that person called on me for this. And it's because they were open and available rather than saying, I have to do this. So, you know, I think it's, it's a luxury and a privilege for sure. But I think you have to put yourself in the mindset of not settling and going after what inspires you. Good advice, mate. Completely agree. Tell me how you made the transition over to the US. Um, I got very lucky. I was very fortunate. You know, my agent in Australia at the time had uh, very good relationships with agencies over here. There's a management company over here that had taken interest in me. And so they just basically started sending me self-tapes with the notion that if you get one of these things, then you'll just let us represent you, you know, is that kind of thing. And so I started doing self-tapes for American projects for them. This is circa 2009. Because while I was doing them, then I think my agency spoke to someone at Endeavor. This is back before William Morris and Endeavor merged, so I'm aging myself. But someone at Endeavor started watching some tapes. And then at some point, the head of the agency called me and said, I think you should take a trip over there. So I, I came over mid-2009 and signed with a manager and an agency. The agency I'm still with, same agents. So yeah, that's... 11 years ago. And then it was the process of coming over for three months at a time with no visa. You know, you're going to auditions. You're not auditioning for guest stars because guest stars shoot next week and they're not going to sponsor a visa for a guest star. So you're auditioning for the leads in independent films. And then you're auditioning for series regulars in TV shows and the leads in studio movies with like one project to your name. And that's what you have to kind of come over trying to do so that someone will sponsor a visa. So, you know, I did that a couple of times and you'd get close and then not quite. Okay, well, my 90 days is almost up. I have to go home and try again next time. And then eventually something hit and I got a work visa and 
and then uh, I stayed. Yeah, I saw Chronicle. It's a great movie. Thanks. It is a great movie. I'm humbled to have been a part of it. I think that everyone involved in that was genius in their part. I think it's a great film and, uh, yeah, it's something I'm super proud to have been a part of. I bet. And what about Carrie? How was that, you know, working with Julianne Moore and really an amazing script? I mean, a bit scary at the same time because the 70s original is such a classic. Yeah, such a classic. It was cool to be able to say that I was playing the role that John Travolta played. I thought that was pretty cool. But super fun, super fun. Um, very fun role for me, different to what I'd done in Chronicle, where I was sort of the cynical, disaffected intellectual with the bowl cut, went to being this, you know, the bad boy type with a shaved head and bullying everybody and pouring blood on people. So it was weird. I was in two movies about telekinesis back to back. Um, I've just got a thing for telekinesis. It was really fun, you know, and I, I didn't get to work really with Julianne Moore except for one scene where we would sort of pass each other. But she was lovely. All the actors in it, Chloe Grace Moretz, Portia Doubled, like all all lovely people. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was cool to be on something so so big. Same with Chronicle, just to be on, you know, to be on these movies. I'd never been on something of that size. Yeah, cool. Mate, how do you keep your head together in LA? It's a it's a pretty unusual and crazy town and um, you've been there a while now. Obviously, when you're working, it's exciting and, you know, you're not struggling to pay the bills and that kind of thing. So that solves a lot of the problems that can come with living and working in LA. But um, <laughs> how do you manage to, yeah, stay grounded and keep your head together? Um, I mean, I think I, I definitely went through a phase when I was younger where I was not so grounded and I got distracted by, you know, going to too many parties and stuff like that. You know, you, you grow up at some point because it's not satisfying and it's not why you start doing this. You start doing this because you're addicted to telling stories and creating content and being involved in storytelling in one form or another. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I, I think our industry is, you know, I think it's probably fraught with insecure people because it's an industry that is conducive to insecurity. And then I think it matters how you deal with that. You know, do you have self-awareness and look at what your behavioral patterns are and realize that there's so much that's unnatural with not just this industry, but with this world? And do you choose to meditate? Do you choose to yoga? What's your thing? What's your thing that gives you mental and spiritual and physical well-being? You know, I think that as we get older, adults in general, I think start to pay a little bit more attention to that stuff, some sooner than others. But yeah, and, I, and then I think our industry, especially you need to do that. So I've learned to meditate. I've learned to, you know, just bring present awareness to a situation, if, you know, to be able to acknowledge that anxiety or stress about something is running my actions and is determining my actions. That's not really me. And it's certainly not going to be productive and it's definitely not healthy. Everyone's different, but I think that you have to prioritize your well-being so that you can do the work as opposed to Another option, which is letting the anxieties and pressures of this industry get to you and then putting it all under the rug and, you know, then going to too many parties or something to distract yourself. That makes sense. And also, I guess, you know, stay away from the cheap LA drugs. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's a key to longevity as well. I think that that's sound advice for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I've watched a couple of episodes of SWAT lately. I must admit, I, I haven't watched it over the years, but it's a, a phenomenon and I was blown away. I mean, it's like over 80 eps you've been in. You're one of the leads of the series and, yeah, each ep's like a mini action movie. It's huge. Yeah, thank you very much. It is wild what we get done in nine days it used to be. Now it's eight and a half days because of budget cuts that sort of tend to happen as a, as a show goes on. And also because they know that you've gotten so good at doing it and that the machine is so good. Oh, well, can't you guys shoot this in eight and a half days now? Um, so we literally shoot these episodes now in eight and a half days, 
which is wild because there's just like multiple extensive action sequences in each episode. And, you know, it's it's an hour television show with ads. So it's 42 minutes of content in eight and a half days. So if you had a feature film that's like 84 minutes, uh, you know, it'd probably be a bit longer than that. But you could say it's like shooting a feature with the same sort of content in 17 days, which is absurd. But somehow we get it done and it, in the, you know, it's a tribute to everyone involved. We've got an amazing team. We have guest directors come in. We have this guy, Alex Graves, who's directed for us a couple of times, who's an awesome director. He's directed a lot of Game of Thrones. You know, we're very lucky to have him, but he keeps coming back because it's a great team. And at the end of his last episode, a couple of weeks ago, he said, this is just one of the best crews I have ever worked with. Everyone works together so seamlessly and brilliantly. It's been such a pleasure. So it's an awesome, cool action show where I love my character, where we get amazing work done because the crew is incredible. And the cast don't hate each other. We've worked together for four and a half years. We all get on really well. Any one of those things would be a blessing. And even if you are in one of those toxic situations where you're stuck on a show where people are at each other's throats, it's still a blessing, but it's a tough blessing to endure because if you're working all the time with someone and and they're toxic, you know, the, you, you hear about those horror stories. And so... We're very blessed on our show. You know, we got a great working situation. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I can that's say cool, about it. It's a blessing. <laughs> no, that's great. Look, I think the uh, the police have had a rough time of late. And um, one of the things I liked about it was that, uh, you know, it showed these guys and the good work that the majority of them do, putting their lives on the line. And I don't know about you, I'm comforted when I need the police and I can pick up that phone and they're there. Yeah. I'm like, how blessed are we to have them there? And I think it's way too easy to be critical and take them for granted. Yeah. I know a couple of coppers really well and they're salt of the earth, great people. Yeah. Sure, there's a few bad apples in any group, but I really like that. I like the camaraderie and I like what you guys were saying in the show. Yeah. I mean, I'm so grateful to have police that we can call on when shit's hitting the fan. And I'm also equally, you know, horrified by some of the things that I see when someone's, you know, not doing that badge justice. And, you know, I have both of those viewpoints equally at the same time. And that is what the situation is. It is complex. It is nuanced. And I think that, you know, when we're living in a world, whether it be to do with the police or, you know, you name a dozen other huge sociopolitical issues that we're dealing with in our time that are being debated with great ferocity on social media between people, sometimes with a, a venom that I don't think would come if not being debated on social media with the protection of the screen between you and the numbing agent of not having another human being in front of you. You know, I think that there's a lack of nuance to so many conversations that I overhear in this day and age. And what I really appreciate about our show is it encourages an attention to the nuance of situations and of arguments it gives acknowledgement in a really genuine way to both sides of an argument on so many fronts, whether it's, you know, police brutality, Black Lives Matter. In season one, we did an episode on DACA where my character actually accidentally handed over someone who's, you know, an illegal immigrant to a, an ICE agent, unintentionally not realizing what he was doing, and then got reprimanded afterwards by Hicks, Patrick St. Esprit's character, because it looks like my guy unilaterally went around the protocol, which is that Los Angeles is a sanctuary city, right? People are meant to be able to feel safe to contact the police about something messed up going on without fear of being deported. The idea being that you're providing sanctuary for these people and then also you're not going to have people not reporting on the stuff that we really want to be reported on, which is, you know, some messed up gang violence that happened just around the corner or whatever. So I think our show does a great job of creating conversation. I think we've got, you know, a pretty varied audience in terms of points of view and perspective on things like this. 
And I like that our show encourages conversation, encourages love and respect for one another, regardless of a differing of opinions, and doesn't shy away from these issues. And yeah, I don't know. I just feel like our show kind of puts people first. And I think that's what we need to do right now in society. I think that there's such a lack of listening to each other. There's so much anger and hatred and intolerance going on. I hope people can just come back to loving each other, you know? I don't know if you watched the Bo Burnham special on Netflix. I just watched it the other night. It is outstanding. It is one of the most amazing pieces of art I've ever seen. And he does a, a section on the internet. And and what the internet is. And yeah, I just think it perfectly captures the time that we're living in where, you know, we've got people on both sides of any given coin being fed content that's driven directly towards them based on what their opinions, biases, whatever you want to call it, already are. So we've just got this greater and greater polarizing of people. People got to remember to to love each other first. You know, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't do that first. And uh, I think our show encourages that. So that's good. Yeah, good one, mate. Hey, um, tell me about Chris. I I saw some fantastic scenes with you two. What's the future hold there? (laughs) Anything you can say? Well, you know, I only only know so much, you know, and I don't want to reveal too much of what I know, but where were you watching? How far ahead were you watching? I've watched three eps over the four seasons. <laughs> okay, there you go. I would say uh, there is... Uh, you can give me a non-answer if you like, but I had to ask because I was like, oh, I like this. These two are good together. Yeah, and our characters are good together, and I'd say it just it just continues to be complicated. And things get in the way of our being able to get together in a way that, you know, I think on a lot of shows, like, come on, like you're dragging this out or you don't buy the reason. And there there are just such sound workplace reasons that, that act as very frustrating hurdles for us along the way. So, yeah, there's a lot, there's a, you know, it's a, it's a fun storyline because we both get, um, it's very meaty for both of us as as actors. Um, but, yeah, definitely gets, I think, frustrating <laughs> for the audiences. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, what about Unbroken, the movie with uh, directed by Angelina Jolie? How was that experience? It was great. It was, uh, it was very quick for me um, because all of my stuff was basically in one location. So I actually shot on it for one day. And then I went back to a different movie that I was already shooting. Um, so I was doing a movie called Cut Snake at the time, which is an Aussie movie that Tony Ayres directed with Sullivan Stapleton and Jester Gow. That was really fun. And um, I actually had hair extensions in because I had like a super 70s cut. You know, they gave me stick-on sideburns and then these big hair extensions that they cut into a very 70s kind of shape. And um, I remember I had like a long weekend or something and they managed to schedule it because the movies overlapped and they managed to schedule it so I could do Unbroken. So I flew up to Sydney or wherever it was and I had these long hair extensions. And my first scene in Unbroken is getting a telegram that says that Louis, my brother, is alive and I'm on a naval ship. And an officer would never have his cap on inside. But in the movie, you'll see I have my cap on. And it's because they couldn't remove the hair extensions. Like, cut snake, well, like, you cannot take them out. Like, it takes way too long to, like, redo it. We don't have time in the schedule. So they had to tuck it all up, like, super tight, and then put this cap on me. So when I watch that scene, I know that I've got those hair extensions underneath. But then I went back, finished my Aussie movie, and then I came up and shot for, like, a week with them somewhere in rural New South Wales. I can't remember. And, uh, you know, doubling for, wow, I can't remember. I'm, I'm spacing on the town. It's a southern, now it's a, basically a southern incorporated suburb of, of Los Angeles. But, uh, oh, Torrance, Torrance, California. So, you know, rural New South Wales for Torrance, California. And we shot for like a week and I had a great time. I loved it. I loved the people I was working with. I loved working with Angelina. I had to learn Italian 
because our family was Italian and we were doing lots of improvised Italian back and forth, all of which got cut out of the movie. But I learned some Italian for it. It was great. I loved it. I worked with Roger Deakins. Like, that was so awesome. You, you just, you watch yourself on screen after he's photographed you and you just go, God, like, it just, I'm in a real movie. Like, it doesn't look better than what he does, you know. <laughs> doesn't get any better as far as cinematographers go than Roger Deakins, does it? That's, no. that's super cool. Yeah. Wow. I was going to ask you about Cut Snake because I've seen that, loved it, and huge fan of Tony Ayer's work. He's one of the more clever, creative storytellers going around in Australia. Absolutely. Absolutely. How did that come to be? Um, so it was like 2013 we shot it. So they were going to make it, I think, a couple of years before that. And I remember auditioning for it, putting down a self-tape and stuff. Then time went on. They didn't make the film. I don't know what obstacles they ran into or if Tony had something else he decided to make first. And then I remember it was 2013 and the movie came back around and Tony, I think, just watched my audition from like a year or two before. And then we had a a Skype or something and then they just went from there and, and he offered me the role. I think in the end he told me that he liked me from the beginning, but that I was just a little bit too young for the role. But by the time they got around to making the movie, it lined up. So yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a good year too, because I hadn't worked all year and I was starting to get that itch, that sort of jumpy feeling of, oh, I haven't worked all year. I was coming off the back of doing Carrie the year before and, and I did a small role in a, another movie called uh, The Host, which was based off of those novels by the same, uh, I'm forgetting a name now, same novelist who wrote Twilight. And they thought that that was going to be a, you know, a series of movies, but I think it was kind of lukewarm at the box yeah. office and they just decided not to make more movies. But I was like in the end of that movie so I thought, oh, I'm going to have a franchise. So I had these movies come out, had Carrie come out, but then I just didn't work all that year. And then it got to about August or something and uh, Cut Snake came around. It was an awesome finish to the year because I did, I did a little indie movie right before it that was really fun and then I did Cut Snake and Unbroken. But uh, working with Tony was awesome and I was grateful to be a part of it, working opposite Sullivan Stapleton, who's literally just a beast. He's just so, I think he's so great in that film and intimidating. And it yeah. was intimidating <laughs> in person. <laughs> uh, that's cool. And what about uh, Jungle, directed by Greg McLean, starring Daniel Radcliffe? Yeah, that was great. I loved it. We shot five weeks in Colombia. And then we shot two and a half weeks or something at Mount Tambourine on the Gold Coast. So I got to go to a foreign country and have an amazing experience. You know, it's so fun going somewhere else, somewhere different to shoot a movie. It's one of the huge pros and also huge cons of our industry because if you're doing stuff a lot and you're always, then you're never home and not seeing your family and whatever. But it was just such a joy to get to go and do that. And then for the back part of it to be so close to home that I could see my family, you know, they flew down and we hung out on the Gold Coast. So it was a joy and it was, you know, it was sort of an honor to get to play real life people and tell a real life story. We had Yossi Ginsberg, Daniel Radcliffe's character. We had the real Yossi Ginsberg there with us acting as a story advisor and producer you know, I remember meeting him for the first time at Little Next Door in LA and him telling me this story and kind of breaking down who each character was and telling me about this incredible time in his life where he amazingly survived in the jungle for 17 days. I can't remember how long he survived, but it was, it was the kind of thing where local villagers were like, if one of our people in this village who know the jungle, if they got lost on their own for that amount of time, they'd be dead. Your friend, your gringo friend, he's dead. He's, he's gone. Yeah, wow. So it was awesome, you know. It was a great experience. I loved working with Greg, Daniel, Joel Jackson. It was a great team. It was really fun. Fantastic. When you're shooting, do you like much direction from the directors or once you're on set doing your thing, you're kind of in your own world and you do your thing? I welcome all direction that is good direction. <laughs> 
Sounds like a sound sound <laughs> approach. Hey, uh, mate, what's what's coming up? We're going to wrap this up in a minute, but anything exciting coming up you'd like to share with us? Gosh. Well, we're shooting season five of the show, which is great. So it's been wonderful being back at work. Under My Skin is out now, as I mentioned, on Stan. So for anyone listening, go and check it out. It's a very compelling movie. It's a great love story, but I think that it's, I, I don't know. I, I have found that people who of all walks of life have gotten something meaningful out of it. So go and check it out. Um, if you're in America, it should be out before the end of the year. We're still sort of finalizing those details. And then other than that, I'm just developing content. I'm just trying to have the next thing ready to to go when the time comes. But until that time, yeah, just just working on SWAT, just running around arresting people and chasing bad guys. Good on you, mate. Well, look, lovely to have a chat today. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing your future projects. Keep producing and definitely keep creating things with David O'Donnell because I think you guys are a uh, dynamic duo. Yeah, thanks so much, mate. I absolutely will. He's brilliant. He's a genius. So, yeah, mate, thanks for for all the things that you've said about all these different projects. I find it very flattering and uh, it's very kind of you, so... Thank you, and thanks for taking so much time. Yeah, no worries, mate. Keep up the good work and um, hopefully meet you in the flesh one of these days. God willing, very soon. Thanks so much. See you, Alex. This is Lee Rogers, and you've been listening to the Blank Canvas podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to see Alex's movie, Under My Skin, it's on Stan's streaming platform in Australia, and Google it to find out where it's on in other territories. For more about Alex, head to imdb.com, that's the internetmoviedatabase.com, for a full list of his credits. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share the blank canvas with a friend. Until next week, live large. Blank Canvas is produced by Lee Rogers and me, Rin MacDonald, with audio support by Jason Murphy at Gas Inc. and music by Rodrigo Bustos. This has been a Millevich production. <laughs>